Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in. And we're back with another episode of London Is Blue podcast. Welcome listeners it's uh not a great week not a great weekend for the chelsea the loyal following i'd say uh but you know thankfully i do have a loyal team with me mike nick dan gentlemen we're we're back and and we're back for a little group therapy i think dan is the is the way we always like to put it after these results yeah catharsis the chelsea catharsis channel nick and we're gonna just bring it in and we're gonna you know suck that pain out and try to replace it with some positivity uh, yeah positivity is a strong word <laughs> I, I, hopefully we have a constructive discussion about um what the hell just happened because um, another london derby another uninspired team performance i uh, i'm getting a little worried getting a little worried dan you know, worries, worries the situation, and we're going to make our way through it. And, uh, Brandon, I think that's why we brought a guest on this week, too. Absolutely. So, always uh, excited to bring new guests to the podcast in. Uh, this time we've got Andy Saunders. Um, probably a lot of you know him from the Chelsea podcast, the Chels. Um, and we got to meet up 
in London when we were there, Andy, and it was brilliant getting to chat with you. So we are so excited to have you on. Welcome to the show. Well, firstly, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm I'm psyched. It's uh, it's a real privilege to uh, to be talking to you guys, and it was lovely to meet you in London when you came over. Good. I'm I'm really glad we didn't disappoint. That's always a concern of ours, Nick. <laughs> this this is the uh, we we had to finally get someone from the Chelsea on. Uh, you, you guys are you know much much like other. Our other friends of the fan cast, you guys have been around for for far longer than we have. So we're we're excited to have you on and get your perspective, especially since you had to sit through that terrible performance in person <laughs> yesterday. Yeah, at least you were able to go and do something else afterwards. It was uh, yeah, it was it was it was quite a um, quite an experience, uh, I have to say. And if you've brought me on for uh, for some level of positivity, I think I may. I may disappoint, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, we're definitely not going to blame you for not. That's that's for sure. Um, Dan, before we jump in, we do have even more iTunes reviews. This is getting ludicrous. I love it. It's, uh, it's definitely not Luda, but it is certainly Luda. fantastic. <laughs> um, so we did get some more reviews this week. Uh, Mac is a blue from the USA. Cyborg Knight. Uh Obina 97 and then uh, really cool we had two from New Zealand so we got our flight of the concords uh review total in check here yes. from SF uh Medler and then Live Busser giving us some love from close to down under one did say that they're cooler than Australia so uh, we might have a little turf war between our Australian <laughs> and New Zealand listenership in the the very near future Nick well, New Zealander, we're cooler than Australia. Nice. Um, yeah, no, it's it's a worldwide thing that we're doing here, guys. Uh, happy uh, to have our friends from Down Under. Uh, happy that Obina called me out specifically. That was nice. I, I rarely get positive reviews in our five stars, so that's that's nice. That's nice to hear. Thank you. Uh, huge shout out to Aaron, who is a new Patreon supporter, and then also Brett for upping his pledge, and also Brett, congrats to you and the others for launching another official CIA chapter in Sacramento. Growing the fans. Love it. You're doing great work out there. Um, all right, kicking it off just right away. Chris Axon, CFC on Instagram, the man behind the brilliant match day photos, uh, goes, where to bloody start? Guys, I, I'm out. I like I'm, I entered <laughs> it, and now I'm done. I have nothing more to add to this discussion. Or, oh, Sherry Nine saying, can you die from disappointment? <laughs> God. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hi- hyperbolic a little bit on the second one there. Um, if, you know, if you know Chris like we know Chris, uh, I, I could see his comment with a long, exasperated sigh and probably some sort of cheeky grin on the back end. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this is, uh, I think it was just like, if we're going to do an overall thing here, it was brutal to watch this yesterday. I mean, I've said it on this show before, and I will say it again. Arsenal, probably the team I love to hate the most. Uh, I just hate the elitist snobbery of the fact that they embedded football and have been playing football, quote-unquote, the right way forever. Um, it's just insanity to me. So uh, to, to show up uh, with nothing to respond back to them yesterday with uh, was, was poor. So... Uh, that's where we start, probably. I feel like O'Sherry is probably free, probably referencing where the red fern grows when the the dog dies at the end of the book, and then the other dog dies a couple of days later. Because Spoiler? I mean, you really can die from disappointment. Hey, Dan, jeez! Wow, <laughs> Spoiler protect the audience. Alert. 
Um, Andy, from your perspective, do you know where to bloody start? Well, I think, you know what the most depressing thing for me is? Is we've become Arsenal. And, you know, in the first five minutes, I think it was pretty evident that, you know, that, that we were the fancy Dan passing slightly fey team up against a team that was going to press us and harry us and, um, you know, and, and cause us lots of problems. And, you know, our intricate passing possession-based style was massively at odds of what Chelsea has been in recent years. And, you know, it's, we all know it's a work in progress, but it's slightly worrying that we have actually become an Arsenal team. Oh, yes. The regression from this season is is scary. Most definitely. Um, but you know what? I think we're going to get into all of that in our match review here in just a second. Um, Nick, before we get into it, uh, this is exciting. We have another really, really cool announcement for all of our listeners. This is the area of positivity for the podcast. So if you are, are, are only here for the positivity, I would shut it off after this. Um, the rest of it could be a little rough. Yeah, um, pl- please don't do that, actually. Just listen yeah, to the that, end. You should just listen. Um, join us on the dark side. Uh, okay, so you guys know that we have partnered with Classic Football Shirts and have done a lot of promo code stuff, and you can still use your London Pod promo code uh, for 10% off on classicfootballshirts.co.uk. We teased this last week, but we're actually doing it now. Uh, we're going to do a uh, Gianfranco Zola kit giveaway. So really excited about this. Um, this past week was the 20th anniversary of his near post back heel flick against Norwich, so that was just a, a kind of substantial moment, substantial goal in Chelsea's history. Uh, we have a 1997 uh, auto glass kit uh, to give away from Classic Football Shirts, and we're doing a Twitter contest to uh, to kind of bring this whole thing to life. So um, essentially what you're going to do is, uh, even if you see it on Instagram or see it on Facebook, you're going to go to our Twitter account. That's where everything's going to happen. Uh, you're going to reply to the contest post that we're going to link to. So that'll kind of have all the details on there. But essentially, we're going to ask you to tag a couple of friends. We're going to ask you to use a hashtag. We're going to uh, give you extra credit if you record a video or, or show us uh, how you uh, how far you go to love the uh, the little magician uh, in, in your Chelsea fandom. And, uh, and we will select a winner at random on Friday. Um, so this upcoming Friday. So... It should be a pretty quick turnaround. We're really excited to do this. Classic football shirts has been great to, to give us this uh, excellent uh, shirt. And I know, uh, Andy, you've probably owned a Zola kit in your, in, your, uh, in your day, huh? Well, let me share something with you. My daughter's middle name is Zola. And I know. And uh, and just around the time that she was born, Zola was retiring. And that's kind of why we named her Zola. And there was a time when in the, um, in the club shop, Zola had signed about... 20 shirts and they were just there in the club shop on a on a on a rail signs Zola shirts for 40 quid and i just bought two of them when i saw them um so i've actually got a signs Zola shirt in my office and yeah of course i did i had so i had a zola um shirt for many years love the guy there it is so that's what we're doing brandon let's uh let's get a ton of entries let's show uh show how passionate our uh, our listenership is about Gianfranco. Yeah, so uh, definitely for now, Andy is going to be our Chelsea representative when we are plugging things. Uh, the last time we had someone from the Chelsea on to talk about our trip, uh, Gary just shat on it, just said yeah. that was the yeah. worst <laughs> idea. So you're in, Andy. You've won that. Yeah, Gary, though, you know, 
Yeah, he's tricky. He can be tricky, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! All he's right. a one-off. He's a character. I we we love Gary. Um, we love Gary. He's so funny. When we told him we were going to Palace Away, he's like, "Oh, are you sure about that? Do you do you know what? Do you know how bad it is?" But it was yeah, fun. Like we're, we're trying to we're trying to sell this thing, Gary. Like, help us out, man. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's quite something. All right. Well, let's go ahead. We uh, have been dragging our feet long enough. It is time for the Arsenal match review. It was a Premier League match at the Emirates Stadium this past Saturday. Um, yeah, Arsenal two, Chelsea none. Uh, I we didn't even bother to look at the score predictions uh, because if you got it right, well. Let's let's be honest. No one wants to know about that. So, match lineups. Dan, walk us through what Maurizio thought would be the best way to take off Arsenal. It was the lineup that Twitter expected and then therefore hated. Uh, Kepa between the sticks, Rudiger, Luiz in the center pairing, and then Azpilicueta and Alonso on the left and right side. Jorginho, Conte, and Kovacic were the midfield three with Pedro and William with a hazard in the central role. No Morata on the bench, but we did have Willie Caballero, Andreas Christensen, Emerson, Ross Barkley, Ethan Ampadu, Livia Giroud, and Callum Hudson-Odoi. Adoy, uh, Giroud, and Barkley all making substitutions this match, Brandon. That's right. Um, you know, from a statistical perspective, you know, Chelsea outpossessed Arsenal 64%. Uh, only... Well, both teams with 13 shots, Arsenal with five on target, Chelsea with just the one. Uh, yeah, outtouched them, outpassed them. Uh, they had 33 tackles to our 13. Uh, they had 40 clearances to our nine. Uh, and 40. just the way it flowed, it was not real, real ideal. I mean, so. You know, Andy, for me, just kind of, I guess, you know, when you saw the lineup, you're at the Emirates and everything, I guess, first impressions, I, you probably weren't surprised. I think we knew this is what we we're going to see from. Yeah, yeah, totally not surprised at all. It was a, a complete meh moment. It was like, we, we know this is going. And I think that's the frustration that a lot of Chelsea fans have with the manager at the moment is this stubborn refusal to change things, to look at alternatives, to stick rigidly to this same player, same system um, philosophy that he has. And and so I think the general feeling was, oh, false nine, why is Alonso still playing? You know, why is Jorginho still playing? Why aren't we playing Callum? The usual complaints, but I think the, 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 the real frustration was, have you really thought about this game, Maurizio? Have you really come up with any kind of strategy for it? Or are you just doing the same thing in the vain hope that it works this time? Right, and I think to, to piggyback on that, like, we saw Chelsea, even though they used the same formation against Man City um, a little over a month ago, we saw Chelsea come out with, in that game with a, a bit of a different approach, right? A little bit more defensive, a little bit uh, seeding possession, you know, all these things. And I think that helped the team win. Uh, Chelsea still hasn't figured out, uh, for whatever reason, how to play against a, a high-pressing, energetic team. And they didn't come out with any sort of different approach yesterday to overcome how Arsenal and previously Spurs were going to crowd the midfield. We'll get into that in a second. But you're right. I mean, there was no there was no semblance of a different approach at all. There's no muscle in the team. And I think that, you know, when you're playing, as you say, against a high-pressing team, somebody that's going to shock and awe you early doors, which you knew Arsenal would, we knew Spurs would, we know Liverpool do. We know these teams do that. There, there just doesn't seem to be a sense of 
Maurizio and his team sitting in a room studying Arsenal, studying these teams, thinking, what are they going to do? How do we counter it? What kind of players do we need to to absorb that and, and to deal with that? And the reason that we play so well against Man City is Man City um, were without company that day. They were without Aguero that day. They had Fernandinho in midfield, but they basically had a very technical team out that day. And against a technical team, I think we can out-technical anybody. I think we can go uh, against teams like that and 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 play toe to toe with them. But when a you know when a team puts out a physical side like Arsenal did yesterday, and you get out muscled by Arsenal, you know Arsenal who are not known for their you know sort of muscular masterclasses, I think that's a massive problem. Correct. <laughs> what? Yes. So look, I mean Arsenal's midfield three was you know very scrappy when you when you kind of look at it that way. Um, you know, Chelsea's like you said, it's it's very pass happy. Um the, the yeah, the Maurizio talked about this. I think we'll get into it. I, I'm gonna save what I was thinking for that. Um but anyways, we running through the goals, fourteenth minute, Lacazette assist Bellerin. This was the cherry on top for Arsenal after they were just smashing us for about ten minutes straight. Um but I mean you talk about the beginning of the match, how many misplaced passes in our own defensive third, even David Luiz. Uh, you know, teeing them up right at the top of the box. It just nothing at this period, Dan, was was giving you any hope or folk or, or like any support that hey, hey, Chelsea, look up for it. All right, this is going to be a good one. It was sloppy, and we've seen this type of slow start to matches. And you know, in my mind, I was wondering if the extra days of preparation had made us even a little bit more lax than we have been in the past couple weeks, where we've been used to a match every three or four days that, you know, the the whole idea of having a week off in between matches was this crazy novel idea where we might be better rested. And we were so well rested that we didn't wake up until after the first goal, which was not a, a great moment because, you know, we, we gave them the script that they wanted and then started to think about maybe playing into the game and trying to build up some momentum and trying to do the right things to go win a football game. But ultimately, when you're down one goal, away after 14 minutes after conceding possession you know making terrible fouls that it really just was not the great script to start the match and ultimately nick i think it was where you know there the the hope had gone from the match i think at that point yeah i texted the group pretty much immediately after that we just didn't look up for it we didn't look like you know we being the team the team didn't look like they uh, had prepared at all, um, especially in the first 25 minutes. I think they, they had a better spell, you know, until about halftime after that. But uh, it was really, really bad. I mean, misplaced pass all over the field, a lot of miscommunication between Jorginho, David Luiz, and Marc Alonso, and uh, even N'Golo Conte had some loose touches, which is a, a rare sight. Uh, it was just very, very poor, Brandon. Not a great start. Uh, 39th minute, Laurent Koscielny uh, shouldered it. Right into the goal, assists Socrates. So nothing like having their two center backs tee up and finish that one. Um, you know, again, it. to be fair, I thought this one was a little fluky. Andy, I don't know what it was like for you guys in the stands, but the fact of the matter was poor clearances and not being heads up to what's happening. Yeah, I mean, one of the big problems with that is you're sitting there and I'm sitting there thinking, well, that's odd. Uh, Pedro seems to be marking two massive guys at the far post. They're going to get a free header across the goal. Oh, look, it's happened, and there goes the goal. You know, why is Pedro marking two huge players uh, at the back post? What, why is that happening? And, you know, 
why, why haven't we thought through who marks who at, you know, at, at set pieces? Our set pieces have been shocking. In the last game, Pedro was supposed to be on the post. He came off the post, you know, and the ball went exactly where he was standing. There seems to have been no or little thought put into the tactical uh, requirements of what to do at a set piece against any team. Um, you know, so you cannot allow a free header across the six-yard area when you've got a player as adept with it in, 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 in the air as Koscielny. You know, it's it's ludicrous and poor and sloppy and casual. Yeah, yeah, no, that's it. That's exactly it. Um, and that leads us right into what the first thing we're going to talk about. So, look, like short and simple, Chelsea were played off the pitch yesterday. Uh, so before we get into any individual blame game, which I personally don't partake in, I find that to be inappropriate. Right. Uh, (laughs) We have to say that no one in a blue kit cloaked themselves in glory during this match. Now, with that being said, how did this Emery-style beating of our beloved Chelsea come to pass? So, you know, Dan, I I think Arsenal flux between a 4-4-2 and a 4-3-3, depending if they're offense or defense. Um, You know, so I think that the formation was a little bit interesting of how teams are lining up against Chelsea. Uh, I know Tweeds uh, on Twitter said, implementing a new philosophy or strategic direction is never linear. Compromises and adjustments are made along the way. The fact that Sarri is blindly continuing down the same path with zero sign of change is baffling. And I think that that is part of the thing. We've even heard Andy say it already, is that uh, Chelsea are now extremely predictable. And they know that as long as they defend around the top of the box, Chelsea won't look to penetrate or to pressure them. So I don't know if any of you have watched Mourinho's comments on BN Sports, but he was the special commentator that they brought in for this match. And he was detailing the fact that, you know, if you make life difficult for Jorginho, that Luis and uh, and Orlando are also susceptible to being you know, kind of worked upon that you really then have nothing going on the right-hand side, and that's all you need to do to really make life difficult, very difficult, as he said, for Chelsea to score. And that's exactly what they did. Our, you know, our friend uh, Nami Footy was, you know, had a really good photo that just outlined the fact that Ramsey was basically Peter Pan's shadow to Jorginho and making sure that he didn't leave his side. So there was no time for Jorginho to distribute the ball in the way that you know he has in some of our other performances this season. And then you ran into plenty of moments where Louise had the most time on the ball, but because there was no no real route to get it to anyone, that it made life just extremely, extremely difficult to move it anywhere. And our right side of Aspilqueta and Conte and Pedro really didn't have the same ability to kind of move forward and, and get the ball going anywhere. So uh, you know, I think, again, I think, Andy, this speaks to the whole idea that there's there's no tactical fluidity or willingness to adapt in these scenarios when you see something that's not working and making an in-game adjustment. It just doesn't seem to be a part of what Sari likes to do. No, I think he's very single-minded in his philosophy. He has a vision of how he wants to play. He has a philosophy that is, we will play our game and we don't care what anybody else does because our game is superior. And if it works in the way that we want to work it, and we'll come and we'll talk about the post-match conference and what he said about the actual players. If it works in the way that I want it to work, it will work regardless of what anybody else does. Interesting point about you made about Jorginho. I mean, this is what happened in the Spurs game that we got smashed in. 
Deli Ali went and stood on Jorginho and absolutely negated him and stopped any forward momentum by doing that. And so we had a warning earlier in the season that teams were going to do this. Jorginho gets an awful lot of stick live, you know, in, in the stadium from the Chelsea fans. He gets terrible abuse because he seemed to be slow and not moving the ball forward, moving the ball sideways. But I have a great deal of sympathy for him when he's marked in a game like that and he hasn't got any runners off him. Because, you know, I, I listened to your last podcast where I thought you very accurately talked about Jorginho's role as being the assist before the assist. Uh, and I totally agree with that. I think that people don't really, and this is not patronising Chelsea fans, but I do think there's a misunderstanding of what his role is. And it is easy to, to negate in the system that we're playing. What was also really interesting, uh, what, and I don't know if you picked this up on TV, there was a lot of arguments between Louise and Aspilicueta. You know, they were really going at each other. And I think that was very much frustration on Louise's part. Exactly what you said about not having an outlet and wanting Aspilaguer to push up and give him an outlet. And they were constantly at each other throughout the whole game, which is not a good sign. I did not catch that. But um, but certainly, yeah, we've, we've talked about Jorginho's kind of role and, and how he's been marked out of the game. I, I do think then, you know, as we, as we were talking about kind of the tactics and how this is set up... Um, one of the comments that has been made recently is that um, the the movement, like getting the ball through the midfield is, is one thing, and that's becoming harder and harder for this team. But the movement in any sort of like outlet from the back is, is really poor right now. Um, it, it doesn't seem like players are running for each other. It just kind of seems like they are so drilled in where they should be positionally that even if someone's marking them, it's like, well, this is what we trained, so like, why would I, why would I move out of this, you know, three yard area uh, when I know this is kind of what we're supposed to be doing? So, there, I think that's that's worrying to me that, you know, other teams have have clearly watched film on you know how we play and have identified that, you know, if Jorginho, regardless of what you think of him, is the linchpin of how we move the ball effectively, if you stand on him, then the rest of the team really struggles to figure out positionally where they should be what types of runs they should be making because it doesn't flow in the same way and and that's we got back to a lot of of Conte ball yesterday Andy a lot of side to side a lot of slow moving around the pitch just looking for a you know maybe a late runner you know that we could lift over the top and it's just not that's not going to cut it you know, not not for what Sari wants. Yeah, and I think that Catanaccio style of play, that counter-attacking style of play where you wait, you wait, you wait, and then you spring, that's fine. I'm absolutely fine with that. I've always said I'm not in it for the entertainment. I'm in it for the wins. You know, give me the wins. I don't care how we win as long as we win. Um, so, you know, Catanaccio, fine, bores me to death, but if we win, I'll go away happy. Problem is, you've got a, a you know, you've got a sort of combination of the two things. So you've got Sarri ball, which is supposed to be possession-based, springing traps, pulling people out of position, creating space. But there is an argument to say that those players are overdrilled. I mean, there's this whole story about Sarri has 200 throw-in combinations. That everybody needs to learn, you know, that you know that that his game is based around jigsaw puzzle, where people move around, and when the gaps appear, then that's where the opportunities come. We know what the problems are with finisher. We know what the problems are not having a striker. We know what the problems are about not having certain players to fulfill some of the tenets of Sarri ball. But it always comes back to, it comes back to this idea that he is not adapting to the situation. And I think that's what's really 
causing the problem amongst Chelsea fans is we want to see a manager that's dynamic that can you know that can uh, adjust to the you know to, to the actual game situation say what you want about Mourinho and you know and, and people do say an awful lot about him you know he would pull two players off after 20 minutes if it wasn't working he would change the shape in the second half he would do radical things to win games and that's not necessarily the you know the greatest you know or, or, or necessary endorsement but sometimes you have to take radical steps to rescue situations and Sarri just doesn't do it yeah you know I I give him credit like he he makes substitutions early which which frustrated us a lot with Conte but now we're back to, well but here's the thing though now it's it's predictable you know oh you know here comes Barkley for Kovacic here comes, you know, Giroud will come on for Pedro, and then they'll reshuffle. It, it, it's just become, you know, I mean, look, Bielsa wouldn't even have to spy on us, right? Like, <laughs> that's where we're at. He doesn't need to prepare plan B and C. And I think that's where it's tough for us is that teams can set up for one thing, and they that's all they have to focus on. And it's easy. But like you said, Mourinho would... Uh, you know, drastically changed the look of the team and the lineup. I, I remember JT playing up top just because they needed three big men, like at the end of the match. And, um, you know, we would just go for it. And, you know, it's not like the 95th minute, right? You're almost done with stoppage time and we're still passing it around, you know, in an arc in the 18. You're like, you're not even trying to put something in. And I think that's to your point, Andy. They're too overdrilled about what they can and can't do. And, like, I, you know, we, I guess I kind of thought when coming in with this sorry ball and Maurizio's approach, this creativity and fluidity and not being overdrilled and, you know, being, these players being able to express themselves and it hasn't come off and, and, and now we've almost kind of regressed, unfortunately. Well, unfortunately, I think sorry ball's become pejorative now. It's become an insult. It's a bit like impressionism. You know, it's started off as an insult. It's, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's something to describe a, uh, structureless, unstrategic style of play. Um, and to give you an idea of the toxic atmosphere in the stadium yesterday, you know, people were, you know, singing songs about St- Sarri Ball that, that weren't very complimentary. Kovacic got booed as he was substituted. William got booed when he was substituted. Uh, Jorginho had a special song just for him, you know, that was not very pleasant. Um, you know, the fans are very, very frustrated with this style of play and, and, and with some of the decisions that Sarri's making and with the predictability of it. It's not good. Well, you're right. It's not good. And I think part of that is the, the focal point and attack, right? So, you know, Nick, Murata isn't on the bench. Uh, he's probably leaving, which is, again, best for everyone. Let's just, you know, be respectful in that sense. Uh, Mishi, Chelsea clearly have no interest in bringing him back. They are looking to sell him uh, if he doesn't end up on loan. Drew clearly isn't Sarri's first choice, and Iguain allegedly will or will not be here. Uh, yes, thank you, Dan, for continuing to uh, make those TSA line-related jokes <laughs> during the shutdown. Um, <laughs> and yes, uh, Iguain has been announced to sign for Chelsea in the next 48 hours for the last 172 hours. So look, we've got... Ed Nazard to, to lead the line. And Maurizio's came out time and time again and said, I am happy for Eden to lead the line. It's just not working. Uh, so uh, we have, a, we have a, some stats from Naz uh, at goal.com saying, Hazard was seriously shut out by Arsenal tonight. Two shots, none on target, only one key pass, and 80% pass completion in the opponent's half. He just 
was not, you know, at his best. And I get it. Like, I, I get why. He's clearly frustrated out there. Um, I mean, th- this, this, again, seems like the biggest thing to focus on in, in these issues is did we get to the attacking third and then run out of ideas? Yeah, I, that's pretty much how I saw yesterday. I mean, I think one of the... One of the things I'd like to call out before talking about Hazard specifically is that Arsenal deploy, deployed some of the same tactical fouling uh, that Newcastle did the week before and that a lot of opponents have this season, except uh, Anthony Mason did absolutely nothing about it. Uh, and in fact, I think was so lax that um, Hazard stopped driving at players just knowing he was going to get fouled. Um, I'm not excusing that as like a in action, but it was it was just so obvious to me that you know upon Granite Shaka's fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth foul that maybe a yellow card would be warranted. Um, it was it was insane to me. Um, so I, I wanted to call that out because I, I do think it impacted the way that Hazard played. I mean, he's clearly not the most physical guy up front. Um, he relies on. Uh, scaring the shit out of you because his um, his passing is so um, his is amazing and his his ability to balance and shift is incredible, but he didn't really have any sort of room to operate last night. He didn't provide any any real threat, and you know if if he's our guy in that position, I I don't see us finishing fourth. I don't think there are enough. Uh, I don't think there are enough goals in him right now to to take us to the promised land. It, it did look slightly better-ish when Giroud came on, but I mean, again, when you only give a guy you know twenty minutes to try and make an impact, score a goal like Mauricio did against Spurs as well, you know, it's just rare that you know, that, that really works. Uh, so, well, well that, and not you know, even I, not even the fact that he had to score one goal, he had to score two goals at that point to get back in it, and you know he he. Only had our first shot on target in the 65th, 66th minute of the match. I mean, you know, going back to the idea that we didn't line up for success, you know, ultimately, if you're going to halftime and you haven't had a single shot on target, there's probably something, you know, ridiculously wrong. And it's nice to get Hazard out into the flank. But by that point, I think you're you're 100% correct, Nick. He realized he wasn't going to get pretty much anything from the officials and just stopped and checked out a little bit. I mean, 26 times he lost possession this match, and really just, you know, we, we have not, you know, we've scored five goals in our last five Premier League games against some of the opposition, including Newcastle, Southampton, and Crystal Palace, which is ridiculous when you think about in the beginning part of the season, we were scoring four goals against Cardiff, we were scoring uh, four goals against Burnley, three against Southampton, so it is completely flipped on its head. And the majority of the players on the pitch are exactly the same. It's just down to the fact that we are not finding the way to get the ball deep enough into the box to actually convert on it. Because the one time we did get it into the box a little bit over, uh, it was either Alonzo getting it you know, just off the woodwork again because that love affair is continuing this season. And you know, Conte being the person in the box to go up and try to claim a header. And none of those are any type of winning strategy. You guys don't get match of the day over there, right? Which is the the highlights program we get on a Saturday night here. Uh, they have YouTube clips that they post, uh, but no. So we had the analysis uh, on match of the day last night, which was really interesting. Alan Shearer 
uh, highlighting the fact that without a striker, there is no focal point. Now, we all know that's pretty obvious. We know that. But he was demonstrating how many times we got ourselves into a position where we could have put a ball either across or into the six-yard area. And all of our players were either on the edge of the 18-yard area or on the other side of the pitch. And, you know, without a focal point, it's, it's obvious. We know this. Um, then it's very difficult when you're creating this possession-based football to actually have any kind of final product. The only thing you're going to do is score a wonder goal like William or hope that you get a set piece, which is, you know, the, what, what teams at the bottom of the table, you know, hope they can do. This shouldn't be the kind of strategy for an elite football team like us. Yeah, and you can trust Alan Shearer. He knows a thing or two about smashing them in. He scored a couple. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, I wanted to just pick up one point that you, that you talked about Hazard and the fouling of Hazard. And I think this is really interesting and it's something that I noticed, which was teammates are not getting around the referee. They're, they're not coming up and going, come on, ref. You know, this guy's getting hacked off the pitch. You know, if you had had Michael Balak, SCN, Lampard, you know, some of those big figures in midfield um, on the pitch, there's no way they would let that happen to Eden Hazard. There's no way that they would tolerate that as a team. There's too many individual players in that team that aren't sticking up for each other. Now, I'm not advocating anybody goes and, you know, creates violence or, 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 or gets themselves into unnecessary trouble. But the sense of all for one and one for all just isn't there. We just do not have enough players with enough animal in the midfield to intimidate other opposition players and we are giving them carte blanche to go and hack Eden Hazard to pieces with no consequences if the referee won't do anything about it no that that is an incredibly good point Andy I I think at the beginning of the season you saw Espilicueta and, and Cahill when he was playing and you know some of the guys get in the referee's face but the, the there is in my mind and it's a it's a larger topic for another day but there's a lot of passive leadership on the team at least on the pitch, I, you know, who knows what's happening in training or, you know, how the how the changing room actually functions. But it just appears on the pitch that there is no one uh, and this includes Dave, who I love. Um, there's no one willing to make a fuss about it or, you know, in, in you know, less uh, appealing terms, like you just said, you know, stick a foot in and make sure that the uh, the offender in this case from. Arsenal, which would be Granit Xhaka, got a little bit of his medicine back, right? I think there is that that needs to happen, and it could be that you know the the team has just seen this happen over and over and over with no repercussions, and maybe it's like a well, why why would we get a, a yellow card for dissent if you know it's clear that this isn't a big deal to the referees? But I think I think to your point, I would love to see a lot more fire from the team around really bad fouls. I mean. Uh, Mike and our and our group just brought up a really good point, and that was in goal. Conte yesterday uh, was was making a sprint down, got grabbed from behind. That's a yellow card every single time, and nothing was done about it. But there was also no real argument to be had about it either. You know, I think there was maybe a half-hearted one from from his Pilicueta just throwing his arms up in disgust. But it's a that that is a problem. Imagine if Diego Costa had been on the pitch when that had happened. You know, imagine if Didier Drogba had been on the pitch when that had happened. You know, when you know, if somebody had done that to his teammate so cynically, you know that that you know that that sense of we are one is missing. I mean, if you look at, 
I was having this conversation with somebody this morning about Manchester City. Well, Manchester City are just a team of individuals. Well, they no, they're not, because they've got some really, you know, quite feisty players in their team. Company, Fernandinho, Aguero. I mean, these are these are fighters. They're battlers. You know, we don't have enough battlers in our team. We don't have enough people with you know with a with a, with a mongrel spirit in there to go out there and 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 just cause intimidation you know now you have to have all the attributes that go with that you have to be an elite player you have to be able to play football you have to be able to do your job but you've also got to have something else which is i am not going to let this happen to my teammates and i'm damn sure not going to lose and i'm not sure we have that spirit and that's that's one of my big concerns you know this 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 spirit i think that's a big one um so obviously huge postmaster press conference from Rizio. Uh you know when mom and dad start speaking in their native tongue that well shit's getting real <laughs> uh he said you know while it was more than a fizzle than fireworks during the match sorry opening it up in the post-match press conference it was anything but flat and speaking in Italian solely for the first time uh he didn't mince words when sharing his frustration so uh, a little timeline run through Dan please from our friend Liam Toomey at ESPN FC yeah, definitely going to speak it in English because I should not try to butcher any type of Italian here. But saying first that Thank he, you, Dan. Yeah, you're Thank welcome. You you're that. welcome. All, all the world is welcome. Um, prefer to speak in Italian first of all because I want to send a message to my players and I want to be very clear. I don't want to make a mistake with English. Switch to Italian saying I'm extremely angry because this was due to our mentality. We played against a team far more determined than we were and this is something I can't accept. We had a similar issue versus Tottenham. It would appear that this group of players is extremely difficult to motivate. When you see this kind of game, we can't really talk about tactics. From a technical point of view, the teams are on the same level, but they were more determined than us. It seems that as a group of players, they are not aggressive from a mental point of view. It is something difficult to change because you have to influence their mentality, and that could take time. Liam then asked if the players should be fearing for their places, and sorry, responded by saying that he wants to talk openly with them and says if they don't have the mentality he needs them to have, they shouldn't be playing at this level. And that sorry said, finally, I'm aware of the fact that this is never going to be a team known for its battling qualities, but we need to be a team that can adapt. So, but my thing is, like, that's kind of your job. Like, as a manager, like, your job is to motivate the players. Um, yeah. Actually... You know what? Speaking of Gary, he he had an interesting tweet that I saw on my timeline like late last night. And it was something about uh, in summation that Conte and Mourinho know a little something about how hard it can be to motivate these players, and that at Chelsea actually there's many times when the players can just kind of you know pack it in and just say, "Yeah, you know, I'm not really up for it." And it seems I, like I I couldn't agree more on this. Brandon, um, not to not to cut you off. No, here, go for this it. This is something that I've I've been railing kind of against uh, since we started our show, and even before. I think when you when you had the the group of leaders that won the Champions League in Munich, uh, largely get disbanded after you know the following two, three, four seasons. We it's been brought up multiple times in in preseason, and and you know any time there's a transfer window. You know, international captains. You know, the strong leadership, consistent leadership at the club, um, from a from a playing point of view, never really got replaced. Um, I know Eden Hazard is the captain of Belgium, um, but 
you know, in, in the same way that I think, you know, he's, he can be a leader for that team. I don't think he is a leader for Chelsea. I, I think the, the leadership style has evolved to, to be individualistic and passive where, as I think Sari's point here is that it needs to be aggressive and that there have been rarer opportunities of Chelsea fighting back from two goals to one to win a game three, two, or, um, really getting stuck in, uh, you know, with, you know, Spurs or an Arsenal or United to have a battle than, you know, in the, in the previous 10, 15 years. I mean, th- this is a, I think sorry is right to question the mentality, but I also agree that yesterday is in my mind, just as much on him, you know, the results against Arsenal the results against Spurs is just as much on sorry as it is about the players. He can be frustrated all he wants with, the performance that they put out there, but you know, Brandon, you're hundred percent right. I'm going to pass back to you since I cut you off. Like it's his job now. And just as it was Mourinho's and Conte's to get these players in a position to play. And that didn't happen. Yeah. But I, you know, I guess, you know, that I wonder if part of his recruitment as well, or they just know that, Hey, they have the track record, right? Like if things aren't going the way they want, they just know that they have to kind of slow it down for a little bit get a new manager, and then they start again. Um, I, I, like, I'm not here to say that's happening, but like, I, you know, I can kind of empathize with, with Maurizio kind of in this situation because, like I said, uh, we've seen some really, really good stuff out of these players, uh, but there's just a lot of inconsistency in, in, against who we would need to be our bigger players. Eden, you know, started off great, cooled off. Uh, Pedro, he can ship goals against Newcastle, but it didn't come off today. Uh, William, you know, scored against Newcastle, nothing going today. And it's just kind of in and out of the, you know, of their prime. I, I mean, at least that's always been my big concern, Andy, with, with kind of the squad is that um, you've, you've got like really, really good B players that they have a high ceiling, but they're not A players because they're not consistently performing at that level. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I, I, look, I think there's two things in the Sarri post-match. One is he's right. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The mentality is lacking. You know, that everything he said, I find it difficult to disagree with. Whether he should have said it in a public forum, you know, whether 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 he should have maybe dealt with that behind closed doors and 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 been been a little bit more um, supportive of his players, um, that, that's a whole other question. Um, you know, it's definitely thrown the cat amongst the pigeons. I kind of like the passion. I like the anger, but I think you're right. It's his job. That's your job. That's why you're paid millions of pounds a year to motivate the players that you have, either through training or playing them a system that suits them. I mean, you're playing your two best players out of position. You're playing Hazard and Kante out of position. You know, maybe think about that. Maybe think about what motivates them, what motivates your key players. But it does, again, it comes back to the makeup of the squad, of the what's happening in the dressing room. Who's going in there and pinning people up against the wall and saying, that's not good enough. You know, I can't imagine for a second that John Terry would have tolerated that first half. He just wouldn't have tolerated it. I think he would have gone in there and, you know, and, and just, you know, forget the manager. I think John Terry would have put somebody up against the wall and said, how dare you? How dare you? play in a Chelsea shirt and, and perform like that. That's not us. You can't treat the people that are standing that away in like this. I don't think anybody's doing that in the dressing room. And I think that, you know, so the, the two elements of it are everything he says is right, 
I'm not sure you should say it in a public forum like that because I'm not sure what it achieves. I guess, you know, my, my thought would be is that he's probably said that to some capacity and that's kind of obviously making a, a logical or kind of a assumption-based leap. But ultimately, you know, I think we've seen this play out a couple of times before where we start to see the manager criticize or talk about the players and, you know, that you then start to feel the the you know, the questions start to arise. It's like, you know, now the, the countdown clock, which we pretend doesn't exist for managers at Chelsea, starts to m- mythically just, you know, appear in the top right corner. And now we have to start wondering, well, when when does Sarri's run end? Because ultimately, even if it is his job, even if it is correct, no no club is going to overturn its entire squad for a singular manager when managers are the replaceable commodity compared to having to, you know, fire a full team of players is not a realistic situation in any capacity. So I guess I'm concerned coming out of this more so than maybe um, feeling good that he said these type of things because to have this type of problem when you're on the cusp of top four, when you're advancing into Europa League and everything was kind of heading in the right direction for this season to knock on the couple of boxes that we needed to hit, that is not giving me good feelings about the next two, three, four months here. I think we're all, gl- we're all glued to William's Instagram, aren't we, to see what kind of emojis he's going to <laughs> <laughs> No, like... I- Dan, you're 100% right. You're never going to overturn the squad for a manager, no matter how great that manager is. If if that was the case, Mourinho would have been director of football and had all of his own, you know, kind of players and talent in there, right? I I do think though, if you're the club and you you have you know, largely with this group of players, I mean, there are a few newcomer newcomers that are are in the fold like Jorginho or or Ningolo Conte or, you know, some of those, but if you're looking at you know stalwarts like a Hazard or a David Luiz or a Cesar Espilicueta, people who have been around for six, seven, eight years. I mean, you have a large enough sample size now to be able to kind of say like at at this age, at this part of their career, this is who this player is. You know, like the it, it's not it's not as if they couldn't change their mentality or or adopt a whole new style because that's clearly not the case. They've adopted many new styles with many new managers, but it's, it's never gone consistent, right? Um, we've seen against Liverpool in the Carabao Cup, Eden Hazard have one of his best games in a Chelsea shirt, and he was only on the pitch for 30 minutes. And then, you know, the following week, we didn't see it. And then we saw it, and then we didn't see it. Then we saw it, then we didn't see it. And it's, it's really, I think his entire career at Chelsea, not to call him out because I think he's a wonderful player, but his entire career at Chelsea has not been a straight line trajectory up. It's there have been a lot of peaks and valleys. You know, I think there have been disagreements with managers and then loving managers. So I, I think there is a large enough sample size with some of these players, Brandon, that you know, this mentality thing is probably just a, a he's obviously frustration uh, sorry's obviously frustrated here. Um and, and has probably known this since he took over in the summer, but to to be embarrassed like that by Arsenal and to not see the fight, I think, was probably what, what spurned this on more than anything else. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a mentality thing that we, we, you know, we want to fix. And like I said, with the Chelsea players knowing the history that uh, a manager can only last so long, um, 
I don't know. I think there. You know, I think it, it's good to see the club. What looks like uh, intent to back the manager in the transfer market to kind of uh, sh- you know show support and belief in him and say, all right, hey, you know, we're we're gonna go down this. We said two years. Let's do it. Let's see what, how far we can get in an attacking style. And uh, I really hope the new players, you know, inject some life and some competition into the squad. We talked to Joe Cole this last summer. He said that was the number one thing that pushed that team on under Marino's first stint to so many trophies was that they were battling every single day uh, to keep their spot in the squad, and they were learning from other top-class players. And, you know, right now um, it's, it's, it's probably a pretty comfortable squad, especially when Maurizio really refuses to, uh, you know, give Alonzo a rest, even though, you know, if you've ever played FIFA Ultimate Team, he's at about 37% uh, fitness right now. But, you know, <laughs> we're, we're going to keep pushing on. Well, re- really quick, too, I think a lot of people, when we when we open this up this summer and, and we're really excited for Sorry Style, and everyone's watching the Napoli YouTube highlight videos from a couple of years ago and, uh, you know, all that stuff. I think the thing that stood out to me the most is that to play that style at that velocity takes total and utter belief and commitment from the players on the pitch. There, there cannot be one doubter in in the team for that system to work as effectively as it did. And I know it's Italy. I know it's different than the Premier League. So, like, this isn't a tactical discussion. It's more of a uh, alignment with the manager discussion. And it doesn't, at least to me, appear that everyone is kind of bought in or understands kind of their role on the pitch. Um, and, and that's, that is troubling, but that is Maurizio's job. Uh, you know, I, I, I partly, you know, I think there's plenty of blame to go around. There are going to be plenty of people who listen to this and think that we're being a little harsh or that we're, you know, overly critical. There are some that won't that think that we're not being critical enough, but the, the sense that I get is that there isn't a collective belief, like Andy said earlier. And, especially to play at the speed, I think, of which the passing needs to move. You just have to trust that people are going to be in their position time after time. Yeah, I think it's um, it's interesting to look at who the representative of the manager is on the pitch. I mean, for many years, the representative of the manager of the pitch was John Terry. You know that 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 you know that was your guy on the pitch. He was certainly Mourinho's guy on the pitch. You know he was Ranieri's guy on the pitch. You know he was, you know, there to represent the manager on the pitch. And under Conte, you could probably argue it was Cahill or Aspilicueta. But now the representative on the pitch is Jorginho, and you know I don't know how much you read into that about you know what that says about the manager's perception of who he wants to represent him on the pitch you know if you've got you know the, the, this guy who's a you know clearly a quality player clearly a you know a, a, a real talent but doesn't really have any you know have any sense of leadership about him and what's interesting about Georgina you know, he constantly talks he's talking all the time you know actually when you're in the stadium and you watch him you can see he's directing traffic he's talking but he doesn't seem to be leading you know he's orchestrating rather than leading and it's and they're two very different things for me and and you know, I go back to this idea that a manager needs to be represented on the pitch. And I'm not sure we've got someone in that role. You know, I would probably put Antonio Rudiger on the table as somebody that could do that. That is one player that will get up in a referee's face, that will, you know, v- you know, sort of vent, vent after the game about how disappointed he is. You know, will probably be the guy in the dressing room kicking the wall and saying, come on, guys, we need to we need to do better. 
but he's gone with Jorginho. And I, I think that's, I don't want to read anything into that, but it's kind of something that's stuck with me recently. That's a big thing for me. I'm a huge leadership guy, motivator, um, you know, holding teammates accountable. I'm big, 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 big into that. Um, so, yeah, it's critical. We're going to have to see where it goes. Um, but look, I think, honestly, we could talk about this match and, and things that didn't go well forever. Uh, but I do want to kind of shelve it for the time being. Uh, look, if if we miss something, you know where to find us on social media, email. Uh, we are quite accessible. Uh, so feel free to hit us. But honestly, it's one of those things that just got to get it out. Just got to get a little bit out to make it all better. Uh, and we're going to kind of pivot to to something different, so which is exciting. Um, it, you know, for those of you who aren't on social media, uh, we launched a Chelsea Together uh, hashtag, uh, Twitter account. Uh, when I say we, I mean, I should be very clear. Uh, we are just here to help amplify it, right? We are here to promote it, to get involved with it. But by no means is this an our initiative. Uh, this is initiative of Many, many groups coming together, including Andy Saunders and the Chels. And so what perfect time, Nick, to to talk about this for the first time on our podcast than right now. Yeah, so you're going to have to kind of bear with us because this was, um, you know, I think Andy can can speak to his part here too. But this has been kind of boiling to the surface for, for quite a while. And, you know, far be it from, you know, us on the other side of the pond to tell uh, match going fans, how they should, um, how they should behave. But, um, I think the, the point of Chelsea together, uh, you know, especially in this first phase is to kind of bring awareness, um, to, to the statement that we put out. And, um, if you haven't seen that statement, it's, uh, at together Chelsea on Twitter. So you can go follow them there. We are Chelsea together. We are fans united by a desire to end all forms of discrimination in and around Chelsea football club, regardless of race, gender, sexual orientation, religion, age, or disability. We are Chelsea and we are together. Uh, hashtag Chelsea together. Um, for, for me, and I'll, I'll let Andy kind of chime in here because he's been very involved as well. Uh, this was put together um, because I think there is this, you know, the club has clearly put out a bunch of statements about how, uh, discrimination of any sort isn't welcome uh, at the club, and you know I think it's really been kind of a um, a, a legal and and club led effort up to this point. But this is an ideal around rallying the ninety nine percent of fans uh, who who go to matches to support the team and not to hate on anyone uh, to to give this a, a kind of a reference point or a north star so that everyone. Uh, can can kind of walk through the same door together and uh, kind of rid uh, the atmosphere of, of any discrimination. Um, Andy, your thoughts? Well, firstly, I want to amplify and, and echo and, and second everything that you've just said there. I think that was a really, really good summary uh, of what Chelsea Together is. Listen, you know, I, I tell you what it, what it isn't. It isn't about telling people what to do generally it isn't the song police it isn't telling people what to sing what to think frankly i don't think any of us care um what anybody thinks that's none of our business you can think what you want you know that's your personal uh cross the bear if you you know if, if you think horrible thoughts that that's entirely up to you i think what we're saying is don't bring them into the stadium you know leave your bigotry at the turnstiles and this has all come about from um, you know, an increasing unease uh, with the use of the Y word 
which for those of you that don't know is a derogatory term against Jewish people, which, you know, is complex in the UK because Spurs use it. They, in inverted commas, have reclaimed it um, because it was used pejoratively against them for many years. So they use it. Chelsea fans use it against Spurs. They use it pejoratively. Um, but a lot of Chelsea fans will say that it's not anti-Semitic when they use it because it's against Spurs. But the fact of the matter is, it's an illegal word. It's a hate word. You can be arrested for using that word in the same way that you could be arrested for using the N-word. Um, so it's complicated. So a lot of fans are conflicted on its use. It's songs uh, that have been sang at Chelsea that include that word for many, many years. So it has required a big cultural shift within the ground and a very small minority of people, and it is a minority of people, and we have to make that very clear, are resistant to it or have been resistant to it for whatever their various reasons are. And in the Mulvidi game in the Europa League, UEFA said that it was considering sanctions against Chelsea for using it. We then had a situation uh, at the club where uh, Raheem Sterling was abused. I won't say racially abused because we don't know that yet. That's under uh, under investigation. And the person that uh, has been accused has claimed that they weren't saying what they said. And that's being investigated. And I think we have to respect due process on that. But it didn't help with the media storm around Chelsea. And then, you know, then there were various other reasons. And I think a lot of us that have a platform, you know, that have a podcast or have a fanzine or have a supporters trust or whoever the other nine organisations that are involved in this, I think we all felt we just had to use the platforms that we've got to get a message across that we won't tolerate bigotry, we won't tolerate racism, we won't tolerate anti-Semitism, that Chelsea is an inclusive place that anybody, whatever their background, wherever they come from, whatever their race, their religion, their sexual orientation, whatever, anybody can come to Chelsea and enjoy football. And we wanted to make that very, very clear. And that's where Chelsea Together comes from. Right. And and to me, you know, just to name off the, you know, from the standard uh, story on Friday, the supporters trust, Chelsea Pride, the we are the shed, uh, who are incredibly popular, uh, obviously, the Chelsea podcast that, that Andy hosts, uh, the Chelsea Fancast with our, our friends, uh, Chidge and the boys over there, our podcast, uh, Chelsea Fan TV, We Ain't Got No History, The Potting Shed, and Chelsea in America, uh, which is the, the, the largest international supporters group in the, uh, in the world. I think all of these groups came together um, not to say that, like, hey, we're the only people who could have done this, but we just wanted to take an action uh, to create a, a show of unity, a show of um, real support behind this, and to show that you know that we're willing to put our names by this. You know, I think there is a certain amount of, you know, if, if you have a directionless or an aimless, you know, movement, I think there always needs to be leadership of that movement, um, and you know, we have certainly uh, put our name behind this to help you know, lead where, wherever we can. And that's, uh, you know, I think there are plenty of ways to get involved with this, but, you know, there, there's been a really great groundswell of support up to this point. And I think that is, that's really useful. I mean, even from the club, Andy, initiating a statement, uh, initiating a statement last week on Friday that said, we wholeheartedly welcome hashtag Chelsea together uh, the initiative from the Chelsea supporters, which is further evidence that the vast majority of Chelsea fans want to see all forms of discrimination kicked out of the game wherever they may occur. 
So sorry to interrupt. Yeah, and and that's really important as well. And I think that was a tipping point for us. And the club have been very reactive to this situation. They have not been proactive. I mean, they have talked about certain initiatives, about re-education, about sending people on um, anti-discrimination courses, even sending people to Auschwitz, you know, to educate them about, you know, about the Holocaust uh, and, and about the Y word. And all these things are laudable. But I think we felt from the club's point of view that it was, wasn't really proactive enough. So having the club support us, having the club endorse us, I think, just makes it a little bit more real and for those of you that don't live in the uk we had a huge amount of media around this we were on the the national news tv we were we were in london's biggest newspaper as a back page uh, sports lead we have been on the bbc website you know and you know we've been all over twitter so there's a there's a there's a real awareness of what's going on and you're absolutely right to say there's been a groundswell of support however there has been some resistance to it from some people that think that we in some way are telling them what to do, that we are somehow um, trying to sanitise football, that we are somehow trying to stop them doing what they enjoy doing. And, you know, we want to get that message out there. That simply isn't the case. We have one very simple objective, which is to stop discrimination of any sort at Chelsea Football Club. If you want to sing offensive songs, if you want to sing... Uh, songs about the opposition, you know, fill your boots. Lord knows I get involved in that. You know, I mean, I'm certainly no saint. Um, you know, and I, I think that the passion and, you know, and, and the tribalness of football is very much part of what we do. And we don't want to take any of that out of it. Nobody's saying that. And, you know, I was at the game yesterday and, you know, there's still people that are singing Chelsea together, you're not welcome here. Um, there were people that were <laughs> stick, stick your effing podcasts up your ass was another song, <laughs> uh, which I found quite amusing. Well, I say I found it amusing, but when you're surrounded by you know a hundred burly thugs singing it, and you've got your face wrapped in a scarf, so they don't recognise you, it is a little bit frightening, I have to say. But you know there is there is a resistance there, but I think, and I've been speaking to people about it, that you know that the, the era of this type of fan who thinks it's acceptable to bring their bigotry through the turnstiles is coming to an end. And at the end of any situation like this, they thrash around like beach sharks and cornered rats. And, you know, and that, and I have to stress again, it's a very, very small minority of Chelsea fans. Your days are coming to an end. You know, there will always be more of us than you. We will prevail. You know, Chelsea fans are decent human beings. I wouldn't have been one for 40 years if they weren't. Um, you know, I'm very proud of what we're doing. I genuinely, genuinely believe this is important that we will win. I'm just wondering if they've thought about the logistics of actually shoving a podcast up their ass. Uh, the other word, which is, so, so the song goes, shove your effing podcast up your ass. Shove your effing podcast up your ass. Shove your effing podcast up your ass sideways. <laughs> oh okay you know, so you know so really you know really hammering the nail in to not to use too much of a metaphor <laughs> but um you know they were they were quite insistent that it had to be sideways and you know and apparently we're all grasses you know snitches uh, and, and all this kind of stuff and there is this kind of hardcore of people that that, that i don't know why but they just you know and, and we're kind of calling them out we're calling out their very being that what actually you know what what they believe in we're calling them out, and and they don't like it, and they are a vocal minority. Um, and so, so I think what I'm saying here is we can't be complacent. We can't be just because we've had a few successes, and you know we we've had some media coverage, and we've had some positive support on Twitter, and we're talking about it, and it's you know it's suddenly becoming 
part of the overall narrative and agenda of Chelsea Football Club. That's all brilliant. But it, we can't be complacent because it's going to take a little while to change people's thinking. I genuinely think we will. I genuinely think these are decent human beings underneath it all and they will understand it. I don't know if you know, but we had Paul Cannaville on our podcast last week. Paul Cannaville, for those of you that don't know, was our first ever black player. Um, and in the 1980s, he was subjected to vile racist abuse from Chelsea fans. Was people threw bananas at him. You know, it was, it was awful. And I was there. And, you know, I, I told this story, which was, I was there and I did nothing. I did nothing at the time. I was a kid. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a platform. I had no way of voicing my disgust and my, you know, my, my, my anger about it. And I've carried that shame around with me. For, for years, since the 1980s. And I'm damn sure I'm not going to do it again, you know. And because I have a platform, I'm going to shout about it. And, you know, and, and I genuinely am grateful to you guys and to everybody else that has had the courage and the bravery and the, just the decency to voice this. Um, I really am. Yeah, I, I think uh, a general statement here is, you know, cultural change is is like turning around the Titanic, you know. There, there are some there are some things that are, are easier done and, and smaller changes that can be made but uh, we certainly realize that this is a, a you know an, a minority effort for for those who, who are resisting the change but uh, certainly our, our goal you know and hopefully in a phase two of this movement is to be more actionable to to really uh, put on display, how we are living our mission statement, how we're how we're helping to affect change. I mean, I would always direct people back. You know, if you want really, really uh, detailed and graphic descriptions about some of this type of abuse, to to go listen to our three part series on uh, racism and anti semitism that we published this summer with uh, with Dan Levine and Amity. Um, it was again really hard to record. Uh, we had can. Uh, Paul Cannaville on as as a cameo, a few others talking about the atmosphere uh, back in the eighties and and the the kind of the tie into what's currently happening today. Um, we 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 realize that like being across the pond, this is not like a thing that we can necessarily impact in in the stadium on a weekly basis. But we uh, are hoping that through this platform, we can. Uh, really start to affect mentalities and how people are thinking about some of these chants. I mean, I, I love our away support for the most part, but being at palace uh, on the 30th of December, it was rough Dan to hear some of the, some of the songs and um, certainly kind of impacted the way that we came out of that game. Yeah. It wasn't great to actually kind of get to see it and experience it firsthand when, you know, you have people, some thinking that they're clever and, and shushing over a particular word as others get an opportunity to say it. And, you know, I, I think, you know, Andy's made this point quite regularly is that the, at a certain point, you know, that if you think about holistically and wanting to, if you love Chelsea, if you support Chelsea, if you want Chelsea to be the best full football team on the planet, there's a lot of things that go into that. One of those things is massive sponsorships and what massive sponsor whether it be Yokohama, whether it be Nike, is going to want to be associated with a club that can't police a singular percentage minority of its population that want to be loud and that want to be racist and that want to be vile in the type of language that they use. And so, you know, I think you are seeing now that people are being confronted with the reality of who they are and what they represent. 
and their reaction isn't to take a look in the mirror necessarily, but it's about to go after the uh, Chelsea Song Police, which is absolutely not what this organization is or is isn't is not about. Uh, it's not about uh, you know who who elected these individuals to be the the focal point. And I think again, movements are about the creation of people banding together. No one voted anyone into this. It was more just a like-minded people getting together and saying, you know what, we've had enough. And we believe that Chelsea supporters uh, shouldn't be, you know, chronicled as this type of individual or as this group, because this is a individual or group of individuals that are giving us a bad name and we don't like it. And so that, you know, you as an individual listening to this can be a member of Chelsea together just by saying that you don't want to allow this violent aberrant behavior to continue. And that ultimately, like right now that this movement is very much in the, you know, you know, the kind of general and initial and, you know, setup phases of just creating awareness around the problem and bringing together more fans and support and say, we don't want this to continue. And then the next phase is continue to think about the actions that go beyond this moment in time. But right now it's about awareness and education to try and combat what is a, a very negative uh, type of behavior that is a, done by a very small, small, small subset of the Chelsea community. Let me um, let me finish. That that's that's very eloquent as well, and I, I totally agree with all of that. Let me finish with a positive thing. In the last two away games that I've been to, which is the Spurs Carabao Cup game at Wembley, and yesterday at Arsenal, regardless of the slightly toxic atmosphere against Chelsea together and against some of the players, there was no mention of the Y word, none. And you know, and so I'll happily be abused. I'll happily become a lightning rod for this. I'll happily be you know, somebody who can't go to away games because it's just not safe anymore for me to do so. You know, I'm not being a martyr here, but, you know, if somebody's looking to hit someone, I'm probably that guy, you know, um, and I was surrounded by these guys and, and it was kind of scary. But if that's what it takes, it's a small sacrifice to stop that word being sung. So I think we can be very proud in the less than two weeks that this has been set up, that we have played a part, a part, not the part, a part in stopping people singing a vile word. It's a brilliant, brilliant result. Yeah, so I would like to kind of wrap this up with one, Maurizio's quote on it, and then my take on some stuff, which um, I've been fully aligned with you, Andy, on. But uh, Naz from Goal.com went ahead and asked Maurizio in his pre-match press conference about the Chelsea Together movement, and Maurizio said that he says, 99% of Chelsea fans are really wonderful. The other 1% are stupid. That's the manager. So if you back the club and back the manager, they've all came out and made statements. Um, I actually tweeted this on a different topic, but Andy, I am 100% with you when people say, well, Arsenal and Spurs and everyone else. No, no, no. You know what? We're here to clean up our house and be the leading example of what football culture can and, and should be when it comes to these topics. We, we should be the, the ones leading the charge and saying, look, we cleaned it up. You can and should too. Um, and, and that's always been my approach to this. Right? Yeah, I think, I think that's the key. That the, There's been a lot of whataboutery. There's been a lot of what about Spurs? What about everybody else? Why aren't they stopping it? It's like enough. You know, we'll get to that. You know, it, we need to stop it. We need to clean our house, as you say. We need to deal with our thing. And I think we are. And the real test was that Spurs game. You know, we had 5,000 away fans there, you know, uh, 51,000 Spurs fans. And it was a great opportunity for everybody to vent everybody else. And the Chelsea fans were absolutely magnificent 
and restrained and not provoked and didn't use it once. And I think that's a that's a huge credit to them. Love it. Yeah, and I, I would quickly say too, last thing on this, because I know we've spent uh, a lot of time on it, but it's it's well worth it. You know, the reason that we put our name up there is you guys know where to find us. Like we, we try and be as transparent as we can on the show about what we support and why we support it. Uh, I think we've done a, a pretty good job of kind of standing up to a lot of um, some, or not a lot, but some of the feedback that we've received for being a part of Chelsea together. You know where to find me. You know what my Twitter handle is. I, I'm happy, like Andy, to stand up in front of this and and take whatever kind of abuse comes my way if it means that the the greater good is achieved, right? And I think that's what we've done on the show, and that's what we'll continue to do. I'm not put off by the occasional moron coming onto our Twitter feed or uh, sending, you know, hate messages our way. It just doesn't doesn't mean anything. I mean, we 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 certainly realize that the uh, the vast majority are aligned with this. So um, it's it's fine to to come into this group and to be a part of Chelsea together. Just know that um, we are are here and we're not going anywhere. All right. Well. Anyways, thank you, listeners, all. It's been a, a, an amazing podcast. Andy, we have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed uh, having you on. So thank you again for joining us. Uh, go follow him on social media and the Chelsea podcast, which, I mean, look, you guys have the OG handle, at Chelsea Podcast. Yeah, we do. <laughs> just, <laughs> just brilliant. Anyone wants to buy it, then, you know, make us an offer. <laughs> <laughs> We're only in it for the money. Hey, you know. Hey, I, I know we know who we are. What can we say? That's why we podcast. No, it's been great. Again, thank you so much. Um, anyways, listeners, a lot has been covered in this episode. Really, really, really loved this episode. Uh, loved everything we got through. Obviously, Arsenal's tough, but uh, we move on to fight another day. A huge week ahead of us. So we'll be back with part two. Don't worry about that. Uh, but this one's going to wrap it up. So again, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Until the next time, keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>